Hello and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast, the internet's premier podcast for films and TV and YouTube videos about cars. The only podcast in our category, it seems, that doesn't have a hot take on Hamilton going to Ferrari. I can have a hot take. Can I tell you, I oh, went through all five layers of, like, what is it, um, denial and bargaining and acceptance. <laughs> pretty stages much of grief. Within, yeah, within, like, 12 hours, because... I am like probably a lot of other British people in that I have never really been a fan of Ferrari, the Formula One racing team, because they were always the enemy, and that is a capital T, capital E. Uh, And so Lewis Hamilton, who has generally been supported by a lot of British fans, is now going to the enemy. Um, Only they're not the enemy anymore because Red Bull are the enemy. So I'm kind of a bit like, ah, you know what? He's just going to go drive around in a red car for a bit, smash Charles Leclerc to bits, and then retire. In my head, that's how it's going to go. He's going to turn up and he's going to smash Charles Leclerc into the ground like he has with every other teammate, bar maybe Alonso and Button. And then he's just going to be like, I'm bored now. I'm going to go and do stuff with, um, what is it, LMVH? The, the company that's sort of owned by the same... He's going to do stuff with that. He's going to do fashion stuff and music stuff and more power to him. But yes, we don't have a hot take other than... uh. Can we get some racing going now? I'm tired of <laughs> I'm tired of waiting. Like the Daytona 24 hours last weekend was was the first and uh, the Monte Carlo rally, the first motorsport events of 2024. And I'm like, yes, let's get more racing, more racing. And then there's nothing. I don't count Formula E or any kind of regional championship. I like no big race series, please. <laughs> and Formula E has gone behind. No, well, it hasn't gone behind a paywall. As somebody pointed out, you can still watch it. You just have to pay thirty pounds a month for TNT Sports. Oh yeah, I was trying to that do that with. Uh, well, I was trying to watch WRC on that. This is we've kind of segued into what we've been watching, which we don't we don't intend to do that much of now. But uh, I was trying to watch WRC live, sort of legit, because I thought it was on Discovery Plus. Um, and so I have a Discovery Plus subscription thanks to my Sky subscription. I got it all set up and got my account set up, and it just shows you a screen that says "Contact your provider to ha- uh, to watch this this event." And I was like, I don't want to ring Sky up and go, why can't I watch rallying? So I just went and found a hooky stream off of Reddit. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I get really frustrated. I know I could pay for WRC Plus, but I don't think the coverage is good enough. Mm. Like, I, I just don't. I'm sorry. It's not It's not quite what I'm after. So, yeah, I ended up watching a hooky stream. I'm really sorry. I normally like to be all above board and everything, but in this case, I couldn't. I did enjoy the fact that Thierry Neuville won, though, because he is always flat out. That was Martin Spain. I'm Chris Ratcliffe, as ever. And let's go straight into the news and picking up on what you've just said. While Daytona, the Daytona 24 hour was going on, there was Brad Pitt and some prototypes lurking around in the pits doing some more filming for the as yet untitled F1 film. Yes, I don't know if it's actually got a... It's, did we talk about how the fact it's Apple... Um Apple Films funding this or mm. are going to release it. I can't remember if that was mentioned before, but I don't know if this means it's going to go out exclusively on Apple TV Plus or if it's going to go to cinemas and then be on Apple TV Plus. But I found that quite interesting. This was done, I believe, at the Raw before the 24, which is the weekend before the actual 24-hour race. They have a kind of um, 
a pre-race practice session for that weekend, which is known as the Raw before the 24. And I believe that's where they were filming. Um, Rumours are that Brad Pitt's character, who let's just call him Joe Tanto, because that's the name <laughs> of the same character from, from Driven. So we're going to call him Joe Tanto, is apparently lured back into the world of single-seaters from sports car racing. So he's basically Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, no, Kevin Magnussen too. Sorry. Yes. Basically, basically and, he's and the Alonso. Haas team and Alonso. Yes, they're all they're all at it, um, and ah, uh, so I have thoughts about. Uh, we'll get onto this because our movie review for this episode is the recent Michael Mann movie Ferrari, and um, I have many thoughts about racing being depicted on film, and uh, I can't help but wonder how the racing that is de- going to be depicted in this unnamed F one Brad Pitt movie. Is it going to be convincing? Uh, but what other news have we got other than they were doing some filming for this? this uh, the, one one thing, other thing. One well, one one other thing with the with the Daytona filming because it was mentioned during the commentary for the twenty four hour race that apparently they had a number of cars or at least sets of bodywork around with varying levels of dirt and tire grime and stuff so it seems like they were just going around and not faking but you know editing together these bits of uh, different car the same car at different stages in the race which is kind of interesting but there has been a lot of talk and I don't think we mentioned it in the last episode about the filming that was done last year potentially some of it being scrapped because the because of the writer's strike I think they wanted to get all of the filming done in one calendar racing year. So now they're going to be trying to cut together 23 and 24 footage. And I mean, all the stuff of the, you know, their cars running on track on an empty track, I'm sure will be fine. It's all the other cars that will have changed Exactly. Shape slightly. Only nerds are going to change the notice any change in the in the the spec. But it's liveries, and in mm. some cases, team names because we have now um, Visa, PayPal, Cash App, RB, <sighs> and Stake Me Home Tonight F One. Um, have you heard what the Visa Visa Cash App Red Bull RB team is is apparently known as internally? Uh, no, is it is it Minardi? It should be Minardi. I still call it Minardi. V-carb. Yeah, well, the thing is, I wonder if that is how it's going to be referred to in commentary, because quite apart from it being a disastrous name, or I think as some writer on therace.com called it the worst F1 name in history, (laughs) which I thought was absolutely savage. But Scott Mitchell Marmer's been just... Put in well, the was, I think that right was I, yeah, met him or Ed Straw. I, the, the commentary team are going to call it VCarb, aren't they? Um, because it's much quicker and easier to say than Visa Cash App RB. Well, everything gets shortened because technically you've got you know it's, it's the Petronas Mercedes AMG F1 team, um, Oracle Red Bull. Cognizant, no one has ever, Aramco, yeah, exactly. Aston no one ever, you, these title sponsorships are an absolute nonsense because they're only referred to when you see like a listing of team names. But in commentary, it's the Aston Martins, it's the Red Bulls, it's the Mercedes. It's never the full, uh, you know, title sponsor, oil sponsor, whoever. It's none of that stuff. So they're just going to be known as as the, the, 
the RBs or the V-carb. V-carb at least sounds vaguely cool, whereas Steak F1 just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, they are the most anonymous team in the grid. Who gives a shit about Sauber? Um, I mean, I, I would if they were silver and called Sauber, but they're yeah. not. So I'm a bit like, meh. And then I can't, I must admit, I can't get excited about them turning into Audi in a couple of years either because all I can think about is Audi going, can we put a diesel in this? No, no, no. It would be... The, I really the, want them to put a transit engine in it and for them to be, gentlemen, start your engines, which isn't an F1 thing, but them to be just rocking up for the grid in 2026 and then just be... You know, that kind of horrible transit sound. I, I want them to put, like, Tom Christensen in one of the seats and just sort of have a, like an Audi get-together. Maybe maybe have, um, you know, Howden Haynes back on the pit wall and... Just because our, no imagination. Our, our impression of Audi is from 2008's Le Mans program <laughs> and hasn't moved on since then. Um, sorry, Audi. Uh, other news. I'm not sorry. Yeah, you're not sorry. Other news. The uh, penultimate episode of The Grand Tour is going to be out on February the 16th, it I believe. Is, yep. And it is called Sand Job. And that's all we want to say about that title. Uh, They are in... Where are they, Chris? Tell me where they've gone. They are in Mauritania. Okay, I was going to say Mongolia. I knew it began with an M, but I was wrong. Um, And then the the last one that has been filmed and is now in in post is Zimbabwe. There was a trailer that's been released on Andy Willman's Instagram account, but not officially on YouTube, so somebody's copied it there. And it is... What is it? It's a uh, Aston Martin dropped off of some description. I think possibly a Jaguar. So basically, that sort of car is um, is the theme for this episode. I think that they are basically getting to that point where they just go, let's go somewhere nice and drive some nice cars around it. And who can blame them? Yeah, I can't blame them. I Talk will watch this. victory lap. Yep, I will watch this. I will probably find some of it childish and puerile, and I will probably find some of it funny, like I have done with all this stuff. But uh, enjoy it while it's here, because this is the last but one. And then I'm guessing later in the year, towards autumn time, it'll be the last one. And 2024 will be the end of the Grand Tour, as we talked about on the last show. Um the- there was an interesting excerpt from, um, I think, one of Jeremy Clarkson's columns in The Times, if not an interview, where he was talking about why they're ending it. And he said, one, they're getting on, which is understandable. But he said also, they just feel like they've done everything. They'd have meetings where they'd sort of say, well, what are we going to do now? And people would just have no idea. And you think, yeah, that's kind of... That's, That's why kind of the, the point to stop. Yeah, it's why Top Gear is being rested because they were recycling old stuff and just making it riskier. And I get it. They have done everything that they can think of in their particular approach to cars and entertainment. Mm. And it's good to stop. If you're running out of ideas, stop. I mean, there are plenty of people who would suggest they have run out of ideas a very long time ago (laughs) and they should have stopped a very long time ago. I'm not one of them, but uh, you can see that people might be thinking that. So, yes, it's... It's the right time, really. It probably was the right time a couple of years ago, maybe a few years before that, but um, the next best time is now. So enjoy the last but one Grand Tour when it comes out later this month. Of course, we will talk about it. Of course, we will laugh childishly at whatever dick jokes and poo jokes are in it because (laughs) I always do. Absolutely, absolutely. Shall we crack on a pace 
to an actual review. Yes, hold on. Let me get my... I need to move bottles of whiskey around on my desk. And the reason I say bottles is because I'm finishing one bottle um, and I've got another one here. I also, I have notes. Right. Because we're going to... They're not very... They're not loads of notes, but I have some notes on the Ferrari movie, which we are going to review. Um, because I had lots of thoughts, particularly around... The, the opening of the movie, the middle of the movie, and then I've just, I haven't written anything. <laughs> and the end of the movie. No, well, that's, that one's in my head uh, rather than written down because um, I kind of stopped writing uh, when it got to the, when it got to the last third of the movie, I, st- I just watched it and listened to it. Um, but yes, this is t- 2023, I think technically, isn't it? It was released on December yes. 26, 2023. So this is 2023's Ferrari, directed by Michael, Michael Mann. He of Heat and Collateral and many other really, really wonderful movies, um, but best known for those. And this is a telling of three months of Enzo Ferrari's lifetime. Um, hinges around... The Millimilia and his relationship with his wife, uh, his relationship with his mistress and the son that his wife doesn't know he has. Um, it covers the death of his son with his first wife. Um, that will be Dino, uh, after whom Ferraris have been named, both in car and engine, I believe. Mm. And that kind of sets the tone, really, doesn't it? It's it's based on a book by Brock Yates, which apparently right. is very. Uh, is it very makes me want to go. It makes me want to go and read the book. The book is, I think, the book is quite harsh on Ferrari. So we're told that it it paints one portrait of the man that is probably not a hundred percent accurate, but it is very much not a. Uh, sort of a, a, a biography that constantly congratulates him on being a brilliant engineer and a fantastic boss and look at all the beautiful mm. cars you've made. It's it's quite the reverse. Um, I don't think the film is that harsh. I don't think the film judges him in the same way. I think it tries to be even-handed. Yes. Which is, to its credit, it could have been... It could have made him out to be a, a comedy baddie. And, and I've commented in the past when we reviewed... Um, what was the documentary? Ferrari, I want to say The Impossible Dream, but that's not, not it at all. Um, oh, bollocks, I can't remember. There was a Ferrari documentary reasonably recently that we talked about where I felt that that made him seem more callous than perhaps he actually was. And it left me with quite a sour taste in my mouth about how he seemed to be being portrayed and, and being remembered as this guy who just didn't give a shit. It was just mm. like the cars, the cars, the cars. I think the film is a little more even-handed than that. But yes, you get you get a a feel for how they are trying to tell the story of Enzo Ferrari, played by Adam Driver, and I I have to say, played brilliantly by Adam Driver. I thought he was absolutely excellent, and I didn't have a problem with his Italian accent because everyone in the movie is doing some kind of accent to some degree, some more successfully than others. Um, but it didn't bother me. I kind of, for the first bit you go, well, that seems a little cod Italian. And then it just mm. fades into the background and I stop thinking about it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. He, he, everyone, I, everyone took the mickey when the trailer was out, I think saying, oh my God, this is the worst Italian accent ever. But genuinely you'll just be, ah, oh, you know what? I, 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 you kind of hear it for the first time and think, oh, so that's how he's doing it. And then it just mm. goes away and you just, 
I think the biggest compliment I can say is I just kind of forgot it was Adam Driver. Yes. And that's that's the mark of a really brilliant actor is that you forget someone who has a very distinctive face, a very distinctive presence because he's a big guy, a tall, imposing man. And you just go, no, that's Enzo Ferrari I'm watching on the screen. And that's a real testament to his performance, to the way he captures the screen when he's on the screen. Um, And his wife is played by Penelope Cruz and she gives as good as she gets when, when they're on screen together. She is fantastic. She is absolutely magnetic in this movie. I mean, Mm. I don't know that the movie portrays her as evenly as it does Ferrari. I think the movie is more interested in Ferrari than it is in her despite her playing a very large part in providing the finances and the backing to keep Ferrari going um, in more ways than one. But she's so good when she's on the screen. She just radiates like rage and passion and and all sorts. Really, really, really good. And uh, who else is of note in this? Uh, I'm struggling to remember the name of the actress who plays his mistress. Um... No, can't remember. So, so am I. Um, I've got the I've got the IMDb page here because one thing I, I have spotted since I've watched it and kind of gone back to it is the number of like. Um, there's at one point one of the one of Ferrari's drivers pulls into the the kind of the courtyard at Maranello, and I completely didn't clock that it was Mark Genet as this extra. Neither did I until you spotted it. Um, uh, that would not be a thing that I'd spotted. I, uh, there's a lot of stuff where you go, oh, that's a, um, that's somebody I recognise. Uh, now, uh, there's a really interesting podcast with Chris Harris interviewing his mate, Marino Franchitti, uh, which mm. is on the Collecting Addicts podcast feed. It's a fascinating look at what it takes to make these films from a car point of view. And Marino is also briefly in the movie as an actor playing um, oh, Castellotti. Yes. He was asked by the director to play the part of Castellotti, who is in like three or four scenes right at the start of the movie. He has, suffers a testing crash uh, and is then replaced by Alfonso de Portago, or Fonda de Portago. Um, and... Marino talks a lot about the process of making the film, how hard it was to get the Italian accent right for the two or three or four lines that he had. And I have to say, I'm going to give him 50% credit. There's a couple where I think, yeah, that's totally acceptable. <laughs> and then there's one where he's on the phone and he says, I'll be there. And it's just pure Scots. It's just Marino's voice. It's not even... Uh, and sorry, I'm doing a terrible Scottish accent. I Because I... And I listened to that podcast before I watched the film... All I did was go, where's Marino? Where's Marino? Oh, there's yeah. Marino. Oh, there's Marino with hair. Oh, look, it's Marino Franchitti. And there's another, oh, there's Marino Franchitti again. My brain would not let go of it. That the fact that that's not Castellotti at all. It's just me going, oh, there's Marino Franchitti. I bet he's driving that car. That's Marino Franchitti. Um, <laughs> such that when, and it's no spoiler to say early on in the movie, because this is based on actual facts, um, Castellotti is setting a lap record and crashes and then has what i've written down in my notes is that the, the, the uh, unintentionally hilarious death oh oh god yes i've just remembered it i i i saw it's, it in the cinema i i didn't have the the oh that was the one where he just sort of evil can evil did didn't he? he goes flying off 
<laughs> and I've written down, it's like a South Park. Oh my God, they killed Kenny. <laughs> because that is exactly what went through my head. What? There's this astonishingly unconvincing CG Merino that just sort of flies out like a cardboard cutout out of the car, <laughs> way like 60 feet into the air. And having, oh, having like understeered into a foot high curb. It's... It, I think like in Driven, where they really struggle to show uh, crashes properly, mm. that they don't look horribly fake. Um, this the, the movie does really well when it's trying to do racing action on track. I think it looks they they do a good job of showing it on the track, but this crash was terrible. The kind of ragdoll Marino is unconvincing at best, absolutely hilarious at worst. And I could not stop going, oh my God, they killed Marino! <laughs> um, because it, I was so disconnected from reality at that point. It was uh, the same with um, Gran Turismo. There's, there's, I think, two you, crashes. You're talking about a bit I haven't got to. Well, th- there are two crashes in Gran Turismo. Not, I have to say, the one that was actually a replica of, of um, Jan Mardenborough's uh, very tragic crash at the Nürburgring. I'm glad they didn't... Um, but there, there are a couple where I, I think I mentioned it in my review as being the driven crashes. It's and and they hit a pebble right. and are launched eighty thousand feet into the air, <laughs> and, shedding bodywork everywhere. And the car goes vertically upright, despite the fact it was doing one hundred eighty miles an hour. Um, I think you're right. I mean, there was one thing that struck me about this is that, and Chris says it in his podcast as well is that it's not a racing movie. There is racing in it. It is set against the background of Ferrari and all of the activities that were going on with Ferrari. But it's a human story about people. About, it is about people. Um, but the 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 way that the, the action was captured, particularly those testing scenes, the use of camera angles, the originality that they brought to it really struck me and I thought you know what I wish there was more of this and that's probably a different movie and it's probably not this movie it's not the movie you'd get from Michael Mann it's the movie you'd get from a different director yeah and it's just I, in Lynn's Ferrari well maybe I don't know that might be unfair but I one of the other things I wrote down was I thought that this was so meticulously shot mm. and and lit very naturalistically um, and very carefully directed, especially with the people scenes, the way it's framed, the way it is very natural, the lens choice. There's there's not a great deal of artifice or s- being stylish here. Mm. And I must admit, uh, in the later portions of the movie, when they are covering the Mille Amelia and trying to recreate it, I could have done with a bit more style there. Um, this felt, you know, there, there are scenes where there is basically, like, it looks like someone's just left a camera on the bottom of the road and some yeah. Ferraris come in from the top of frame and go round and then they're gone again and the camera doesn't move from its position like someone's just dropped a GoPro almost. It, there, there's bits where I think, no, you could have gone if you wanted to make the Mille Mille seem more dramatic, you could have done it in a different way with more of the stylistic choices but maybe that wouldn't have married up with the rest of the film. Um but it is is it's really really beautiful to look at. It, it feels like it's got that magic hour Italian light in it almost all the oh, time. God, yeah. If it's not a night scene, the the light is so beautiful, the scenery is so beautiful, the the work that's being done to make this look period accurate is delightful, and it's mostly shot in Italy. I think 
there are some some scenes where they decamp to other places, but it it looks absolutely mega. And I think that the the principal performances are are extremely powerful. Where I think it maybe falls down is at least for me and maybe for us as racing fans is we're too busy going, Hey my God, it's Patrick Dempsey. Pat- <laughs> Patrick Dempsey's got white hair. It's white haired Patrick Dempsey. Hey, did you see that? That was Patrick Dempsey. Look, Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> I could not stop my brain from just going, Hey, it's still Patrick Dempsey in that car. Hey, look, mm. it's Patrick. He looks like he's having good fun. Do you think he, he was just did this for a laugh? He looks like he's having a great time. That's not actually, um, who's he playing? He's playing Tarufi, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking, nah, he's just, playing Patrick Dempsey having a laugh. He's desperately trying not to just burst into smiles all the time. He's like, I'm getting paid to be in a movie with car racing in it. And I do car racing anyway. Um, I There's a, a bunch of moments like that where I'm kind of snapped out of it. Um, the actor whose name again eludes me, this is terrible prep, uh, who plays Fonda Portago is the guy who's going to be playing um, Senna in the upcoming Senna. Uh, Gab- is- Gabriel Leone. Yes, uh he's he's got a good line in intensity mm. i wasn't as convinced by his acting whilst driving <laughs> i don't know that's a very specific skill set but he basically just seemed to grip the wheel and grimace and look like he really needed to squeeze out a number two so so he, very much the de niro school of yes uh, yes you're absolutely faces. right you're absolutely right um <laughs> And I don't think he was helped by the camera angles. So as we've said, start of the movie, uh, there's the, the sort of the testing crash with Castellotti. There's a lot of testing around circuits. That's beautifully shot on a real circuit with real cars uh, at high speeds. And it looks fantastic. It sounds wonderful. The whole movie sounds brilliant. They've spent an awful long time recording these real vintage Ferraris Ooh. and Maseratis to get the real sound and the sound editors have worked really hard to make sure that it feels real from a sound perspective and it, it really sells the illusion. Um, the middle part is the people part yeah. and then towards the end we're getting into the actual actual millimilia mixed in with some people stuff around um, discussions with um, Agnelli about selling Ferrari or selling a stake in Ferrari to Fiat Um I didn't think the Mille Milia recreations were as successful as the early stuff. And I'll tell you why. It's too slow. Every time you try and film car racing in a movie, it just doesn't look fast enough. Whatever you're doing with the camera, it's not fast. The, the cars, especially if you're following them, they are crawling along they're probably doing 70 miles an hour but they need to be doing 170 Mm. for it to look fast on film they're not they're not choosing the angles and they're not using the lenses and so there were big portions of it where my brain was just like they're trundling along they should be absolutely flat chat and they're and i know this is a movie this it's extremely unrealistic they're, they're, they're racing in packs, which they didn't do very often. It was very individual, one man against the track and the clock rather than against one another. But there's just bits of it that took me out, like the way they don't seem to be able to weather the cars till they look actually mm. dirty. That looks like model weathering, where it's all too even and brushed on. And these are tiny, tiny, tiny nitpicks, but they pull me out of it. So I was kind of... The Mille Mille stuff people everything is just a little bit too nicey nicey sedate it needed to be raw and more brutal um there's a very weird kind of when they're 
tracking from behind the cars as they're racing. There's this kind of shaky cam, which I don't think you needed. And it keeps moving from one car to the next car, which doesn't move. I'm glad to report that they do the classic movie thing of when you want to go faster, just change into another gear and put your foot <laughs> to the carpet as if it wasn't there before. I have to contractually report for the sake of our friend Matt Lang, who is a huge Ferrari nerd, that there are two moments where they show that one of the cars, can't remember which, has a centre accelerator because they deliberately show the man lifting his foot off of the centre accelerator. <laughs> Um, I know that that is factually accurate for one of the cars. Can't remember which. Doesn't matter. But there you go. There's a proper car nerdery thing for you there. Um, there's there's lots of moments in in there where it does work, but there are as many moments where I am not quite. I'm not sold the illusion, and I don't mm. know why that is. I could not put my finger on watching it because the sounds incredible, and they are. I think they're a mix of extraordinarily accurate body replicas that were built by artisans to the original, you know, in the original way, bending metal over formers. Mm. But there's just something off. It's the, un- you know, the uncanny valley for CG yes. characters. It's that. And I could not tell you why. It's something about the way they work. It's There's a degree of lack of load on the car when they are in corners they don't appear to be at the edge of adhesion. There's think, no low, there's no energy in the car. If you, you know what I mean? Mm, and so it's weight. It, it's, yeah. It's they're lacking in the mass and the energy in the car as they come through the corner. And I don't, uh, you can't film this kind of thing safely with the kind of thing that they would have actually done. So I'm nitpicking for nitpicking sake, but it did take me out of the, the last bit. Um, I enjoyed the racing scenes for the noises and the, you know, pretty red cars go fast. And (laughs) there's a bit where it suddenly goes to the highlands of Scotland for no reason. And then it disappears (laughs) back into Northern France for another bit. And then we're back into Italy in, in some nice square where they do a a, a pit refill. Um, That did kind of make me go, why are we in Scotland now? Um, I know it's meant to be the mountains of of Italy, but it it was a little bit like, no, I'm pretty sure I've driven down that. That's just past the old military road. Uh, It's it's the bit the car nerds will probably enjoy the most is the the start and the end. Mm. But I actually enjoyed the stuff in the middle more than... I, I, the first two thirds of the movie, I was absolutely on board with this. I thought this was really engaging, really interesting movie that is sadly not going to be seen by a great deal of people. Um, I can't really put my finger on why, but it, you know, it's not, it's not the kind of thing that is going to do word of mouth business. I think so. I think the reason why it's not going to do better, in my opinion, and I think, I think it could pick up awards. Possibly it's a little it's a little early in the next cycle, because obviously the for the Oscars the voting's already happened for this year. So it's 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 at the very start of next year's Oscar cycle. It would need studio backing. It would need whoever's putting this out to basically go to bat for Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz. I mean, those are the two that are gonna get it. I maybe the cinematographer could get a nod. I don't think Michael Mann's gonna get um a nod for directing, but whoever's done the sound editing potentially could get a nod. Yes. Although, wasn't, wasn't it Ford versus Ferrari also got a similar... Uh, yes. Similar nod. Um, I'm trying to find... 
who actually releases it? Um, because IMDb have put a load of stuff behind their paywall. <laughs> Thank there's you. There's a lot of... I seem to remember at the start, there's quite a few financing companies. And so I imagine this was basically put together. It's an independent movie. It's not a big studio thing. I don't think you see the Universal logo or the Paramount logo or anything like that. It's the kind of classic... We'll chuck a bit into the pot. They'll chuck a bit into oh, the pot. It's, it's one of those, isn't it? Funded in part by the Emilia Romagna Film Fund. Uh, quite possibly, exactly. It's the only way you get a movie like this made that doesn't wow. have superheroes or you know cities <laughs> yes. being leveled or anything like that. You know, it's it's a hard. It's a it's a grown up movie about grown up people, and. I, I did enjoy it. Will I watch it again? Probably once more. Um. But I don't think I'm going to go back and revisit this in the way that I do with Driven because Driven is absolutely stupid (laughs) but glorious. Or, you know, any of the kind of movies we've covered or sometimes the documentaries where you just want to see it for the... Mm. See, my my take on this was it took me a while to get into it because I was expecting something different. I was expecting more of the driving side. But once... I, I mean, I adore. Uh, give me some good chewy dialogue, give me great performances, and I am, I am happy. And that's why I want to watch it again. But the, I think, the the reason why it hasn't got more acclaim, is because it is. The 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 parts of the story where you've got Adam Driver and you've got Penelope Cruz, doing these really wrought out emotional scenes where the stakes are so high. And that's the thing, is that it is these two people who are kind of forced to cooperate despite the fact that one just sees this opportunity to see his car company succeed and the other loathes the person who's asking her to do something. And it is so tense. That's where the stakes come. But then you've almost got this point where there's no great payoff. There's it, 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 Because it is such that thing of it's three months. It's like you start here, you finish here, and then the world carries on. Yeah. And I don't think there's ever a really a redemptive arc as such. No, no it point does just kind of end. Feel good, yeah. But that's, I mean, like the guy who was behind the Sopranos, whose name I, I forget, said, you know, the reason the Sopranos faded to black at the end is because that was just the end of their the bit of the, their life that you saw, and they would carry on after. The one thing that did strike me with this, and. This is more testament to the story, I think, more testament probably to Brock Yates' book, which I haven't read, was what it reminded me of was Williams, the documentary. Oh, I still haven't watched that. <laughs> because the thing with with Frank Williams, like Enzo Ferrari, is that sense of you've got to keep the team going. You've got to keep the company going. Yes, there are families and yes, there are wives and all that stuff. But if I can just get this sponsorship, if I can just get this team, if I can just get this engine, if I can just get to this race, that's kind of all that matters. And you've got that that sense of the person in Ferrari who 
you have that tension. And I think what this film really shows well is that tension between the man who isn't really in control of his private life and he isn't really in control of Ferrari. He's trying to cling on to it by his fingertips. But you've got the um, Il, was it Il Commendore? Um, the Commendatore. Commendatore, yeah. that's the one. Who is fierce and respected. And, he, you know, he will say to people, right, next race, you're in that car. What about the other person? Doesn't matter. They won't be happy. You know, berating the press. And then he goes home and he just sort of goes, oh, God, oh, this, oh, it's so nice to see you. And, you you know, to have that that mix of those two people in Adam Driver is such a talented thing to do. And I think it, it, that that is what I really, really hope. I think Penelope Cruz, if anybody, if there's one nomination, I think Penelope Cruz will get it for Best Supporting Actress because she has those fire and brimstone scenes that catch people's eye. But I think this is going to sound like a really weird comparison, but I think that what Adam Driver does with it is almost like Christopher Reeve in Superman because the 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 way that he marries those two characters. There's one scene in Superman where it's when, was it Lois or uh, I can't remember if it's Clark or Lois, his um, glasses end up in the fire and he reaches in to get them and Lois sort of turns his hand over and she's like, you're, you're not burned. And he, he realises the game is up. And if you watch that clip on YouTube, you see how Christopher Reeve, when he's, when he's Clark Kent, he's kind of hunched and he's kind of a bit schlubby. And then he realises the game's up and he just straightens up his back. He straightens up his posture. He just changes his face in some way and becomes Superman. And it's the same with this, I think, is that the the role that Adam Driver has to do is kind of, is, is in a way, it's almost quiet. It's almost in the... It's in the quiet moments where the real genius of it comes out, which is unlike a lot of Ferrari cars these days where it's all noise and bombast and what have you. And I, the, I, I do hope that more people see it. I do hope it does do some business. I mean, just looking at IMDb, the budget was estimated 110 million. The worldwide gross is 37 and a half million. It's not done. It's not washed its own face. It hasn't brought its money back. Not that's even for close. sure. And I, it who, seems who like releases awful this over lot Christmas? of money. <laughs> it's a very bizarre time to release it. And it's all 110 million. Michael Mann is a meticulous director and I can see that recreating the 1950s in Italy with Ferrari sports cars requires a lot of logistics and therefore money, but $110 million, where's that gone? Mm. I mean, maybe there's there's going to be an awful lot of work to draw out modern things in you know to to fill the frame with realistic looking 1950s buildings and surroundings but the cg in this is quite crude i'm going to be mm. mean 
it's not convincing. And I have been told by people who should know that CG artists are generally speaking, if you're working as a professional, you're all as good as one another. And the only thing that makes good CG different from bad CG is time. Mm. And so, I, I mean, 110 million is an incredible budget. So, yes, I I enjoyed this an awful lot and I will watch it again, but probably yeah. not as much as I might go back and actually revisit that Ferrari documentary I talked about, which I have looked up while Chris was talking. It is called Ferrari Race to Immortality. Was that the one... I remember the title. It wasn't the Fangio doc, was it, where it was all no. stats? No, no. This is this is the one which covers a decade of Ferrari racing and all the most famous Ferrari drivers during that time. Um, and it's a, there's a pile of vintage footage um, and some modern stuff mixed in as well. But this has the benefit of it being real footage of real Ferraris racing. <laughs> and, you know, it, the speed difference and the just the general feel of it because it's real and mm. because you can, you're not trying to fool the eye into thinking this is happening when it's not. Ah, I don't know. And I, I cannot leave the review of the movie without mentioning the scene towards the end of the Millimilia bit, which is a crash mm. that happened for real. And yep. every review has mentioned this this particular brutal bit of violence that just did not need to be filmed, did not need to be produced. You could have hinted at it without showing it. And what happens is uh, a car runs over a cat's eye with slightly knackered rubber and gets a puncture and then flies off, hits a telegraph pole and then wipes out a pile of spectators, including women and children. And then the camera pans... <sighs> That was from, the bit. Yeah. yeah, it pans across the wrecked bodies. You know, there are limbs and people. It, it's shown in CG. So some poor sod had to animate people being mown down by a car. And then they went and filmed the aftermath. This isn't a World War Two movie. This, it, it was so jarring. It was so out of touch with the rest of the film it felt so wrong it felt that they should have gone as soon as the car hit the telegraph telegraph pole you let it fly out of frame done or do it in a wide shot or something yeah you don't need to see people being flattened you don't need to see families being yeah it was absolutely horrible and it left and because it's quite towards the end of the movie it leaves such a horrible shocking taste in your mouth that you kind of almost you're again you're jarred out of the movie for that so i mm. That for me felt like a real bum note in an otherwise pretty yeah. interesting partic film. Particularly as well that if you look at the points in Enzo's life that had a lasting impact with him, and th this was a time when when drivers were killed sadly regularly. And spectators. And spectators. But the the idea of that bond between a driver and a team boss like Williams and I want to say Piers Courage. Um, yeah. But it seems like every team boss has that one driver who left that indelible mark on them where they kind of went, you know, either they carried the guilt with them or it made them change something. And the thing with this was it showed the crash. And I get that, you know, it was a real event, but there wasn't a point to that crash 
where Ferrari suddenly throws his hands in the air and goes, oh God, I was wrong all along. I'm no longer going to make these death machines. I'm now going to go off and make combine harvesters. It doesn't serve the narrative. It doesn't exactly. serve narrative in that's, any way. That's it's the gr- concise way. It's, it's, yeah. gr- it's gratuitous. And uh, lots of reviews have danced around what it is and they've gone, oh, this was very graphic. And I'm no, I'm not even going to dance around it. This is, you know, women and children being mown down by a crashing car and it's vile. It's horrible. So <laughs> I don't want to end the review on a bum note. I think if you are a car fan, you kind of owe yourself to see this. You might not be able to get it in the cinemas anymore. Um, I certainly caught it at the very, very end of its run. But when it's released on digital, because it will be reasonably soon, um, watch it with sound turned up and be prepared for a movie about people. And kind of treat the car stuff at the beginning and the end as almost an extra added bonus. This is a movie about Enzo Ferrari and his wife and his mistress and his dead son and his alive son and all of the people around him. And cars are a background thing. I think if you lopped off the beginning and the end, <laughs> you'd have quite a, maybe a slightly different movie, but I almost say you'd kind of have a better movie. And that Possibly. is a first for us, saying that <laughs> the best car movie that we've seen in 2024 so far is a movie where if you took all the cars out, it would be better. <laughs> also, do try and see this at cinema. If you do have an interest in this at all, please do. I am willing to bet a crisp £5 note that it'll fairly soon be doing the rounds of independence and art cinemas. And those places, one, they are lovely places to go and watch a film with like-minded people. And two, they need all the support they can get because times are tough for everybody. And if you can support your local art cinema, it will repay you a hundred times over. And you don't have to wear a beret to go into them. Not anymore, or smoke Goldwar or any of that. Uh... No, no. Yes, I, there end is what was probably quite a long, drawn-out review of Ferrari. Um, good, but with some reservations, I think would be mine. I'd give it three out of five, but I with, with some really real highlights, I really enjoyed um, Adam Driver's performance, and I really laughed my arse off when Marino Frankiti got killed. Sorry, Marino. <laughs> Fair, fair. Um, right, let's move on to... No, from from one... Uh, <laughs> no, there's no segue I can make here. I can do it. It's Italian sports cars. We're moving from yes. one set of Italian sports cars to another set of red Italian sports cars, or one, one Italian sports car. Um, what's Henry Catchpole been up to? Well, he's been driving the twin-charged Terror, the uh, Lancia Delta S4 Stradale. Uh, which is a road-going version. It's a homologation special, that beloved thing of all automotive journalists, mm. um, of the Rally Lancia Delta S-Force um, Integrale. Oh, do you say L- Lancia or Lancia? Uh, I said Lancia. Is it Lancia? I, well, you, you just said Lancia. Did I? Oh. Yes. I, I don't know. I, I, now you've got me confused. I don't know what I say. Is it <laughs> is it potato? Is it potato? Is it scone? <laughs> is it scone? You're from the north. Which one is it? I, I, well, don't have such posh things up here, lad. We have we have pies and whippets. Come so, on, scone or scone? Come down one side scone. or the other. Scone, bath. Bath? Bath. What's a bath? <laughs> Something you eat your scone in. <laughs> bath. Anyway. Um, um, anyway, yes. Henry Sorry, <laughs> he's been driving this car, which is... Um, I have to admit, this, this film is classic Henry. It is a history lesson. And it is rallying and it is contemporary 
all mixed into one with a, a pile of wonderful archive footage as there always is when you go through this kind of mid 80s group B period of mad homologation specials and, and crazy turbocharged group B monsters. This road car is extraordinarily rare to the point where I wasn't sure these there were many of these left. Um, and um, Henry's driving around Anglesey Circuit and kind of giving a, a lesson of that kind of 1985-86 season where Henri Toivonen and Sergio Cresta drove their hearts out to win in what was, I think, quite a difficult car to drive. Fragile in some ways. They they had one rally where a car crashed into them and then they drove it like a banana, sort of very bent <laughs> chassis. Um, and the road car, I can't imagine how much it costs. I mean, it's in minty, minty, mint condition, mm. but it is not a looker. I have to say, it is quite ugly. There are panel gaps you could fit your arm into. <laughs> and I don't doubt that it is a fascinating piece of history to drive. And if you are the kind of person that has a vast collection and have a, a particular fondness for rally cars, for homologation specials, and you are of an age where you were following rallying during the 1980s, this might be the absolute crown jewel for your collection. For me, I was a bit like, it's very interesting. I'm interested in it because it's Henry telling the story. I know the yep. story. I would not be bidding for this car, but it is a really fascinating story on one of the long lost talents of rallying. Um, Henri Toivonen died on in the Rally Corsica when his Lancia Delta S4 left the road for reasons still unknown. And because the fuel tank was basically underneath the driver and the cars were basically made out of paper his car burned up and they have absolutely no idea why he crashed or you know what had happened there were just skid marks mm. and he left the road it's a terrible terrible tragedy and it's one of the things that um, contributed towards Group B being banned for 1987 but the car itself that the the film is about is beautifully filmed. Anglesey is a great place to film anyway, but I thought the, the camera work and the editing of this is as good as the story. I just found the car a little bit, not my thing. You know, if you were to go group A and and show me Impressors, anytime there's something like Impressors <laughs> or Evos or, you know, RS Cosworths, that's, that's my era where I would mm. prick my nose up at a homologation special or, a, you know, a, a, a rally car. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that would be the, the lottery win if I if I wanted <laughs> such a thing. I think you'd have to be a generation older than me to to really feel the same way about the the, the Delta S4 mm. Stradale. Especially since the road going ones are not the kind of super mad seven hundred brake horsepower utter monsters that the rally ones were. If no. it was, I'd be more like, okay, I want to see that thing spin all four wheels up through all the gears, but it's it, not quite there. It's a road going version. Isn't the RS two hundred? Like the road version, is it like 230 horsepower or something? They're not hugely potent, but they do have two shock absorbers per side on the rear. <laughs> yes. And that therefore makes them, it gives it at least 50 more horsepower per wheel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say, watching this, the, it, the one thing that this, this made me think of was our discussion last week about Top Gear. And it, I, I can't imagine for example, Henry doing a review of the new Vauxhall Astra. But this sort of thing, this opportunity to to, to to tell a story, I mean, it's like, was it Richard Hammond when he did the um, uh, 
Didn't he do a thing with Lotus? I mean, he I, did it on. There was a grand tour. He did the Jim Clark. Um, that was it. Lotus. I forget. Was it 1966? Or basically the year where Jim Clark just won everything and made yeah. everyone look shit. Um, this is the kind of thing that Chris Harris has done so successfully on Top Gear. He did McRae's mm. Impreza. Yes, that was um, it. He's done another one. I forget what, but the the telling a story it's it's very much in the vein of Clarkson telling that story of Lancia versus Audi which is a film story uh, no it's a film it's not a documentary it's a film um, starring Daniel Brühl I think we've mentioned on the podcast before that is available now I believe Ooh. or out now so we might cover that in future podcast coming Definitely. soon um, but it, it, the, the story Clarkson told on the Grand Tour was that you know the, the two wheel drive um Lancia 037 versus the four-wheel mm. drives of the Audi, um, you know, the Quattro and those seasons and those battles um, that, that Clarkson and the Grand Tour put into such... I just told it in such an engaging way, and this is a film of that. And this is done the same way. And these these are the same kinds of stories that, that really capture imagination, even if you, you're not a motorsports fan. I think you need to be... For some of these things, you need to be into cars... Um, I think you kind of need to be into cars to watch Ferrari. But I think, weirdly, I think these sorts of stories where it's a motorsport story as opposed to a person who operates around the periphery of motorsport but isn't actually a driver. I feel like the story of a car and a pair of drivers in competition will get anybody because Mm. competition and tragedy are just... They're engaging and... um, it's like I'm forever fascinated by Henri Toivonen and this launcher simply because of the fact that he was the only person who could tame it in competition. And he did it. He absolutely dominated. He bossed that car around. And in in a way that only the very best people who really gel with a car can. And that's captivating. And I think you can, people can really engage with that story whereas i think you kind of need to already know some of the backstory of enzo and ferrari and Mm. you you for you to get the very best out of that and why the best reviews have come from people who already know the story for the ferrari movie sorry we're going back to that but the best (laughs) reviews i've seen have been from people who already have that backstory so they are basically seeing their mental imagery being brought to life and That's quite powerful if if it's if it marries to what you'd like to see or what you've imagined in your head. Um, but you need to have that already there. And if you don't have that, it can be quite hard to suck you in because you need to be like you. You say you need to like chewy dialogue and and a, and a, and a people movie. <laughs> and sometimes that can be a hard sell. Anyway, you can. Um, watch Henry's um, Twin Charge Terror video. He has also recently done a video on the last of the Audi R8s. Uh, which I haven't watched yet, but we chose to include this one in because this is this is more your archetypal Harry, um, Henry video. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> For my YouTube pick this episode, I've gone with a channel which I'd never heard of before, uh, never come up in my feed, and I think they're currently about like one and a half million subs or something. So, you know, finger on the pulse as ever. But I was listening to the Smoking Tire podcast and they had uh, Parker from Vehicle Virgins on talking about 
quite eloquently about the business of YouTube, about the um, particularly talking about things like how production quality affects what you are, how well your video is received. <laughs> the answer is not at all. And talking about how the algorithm is changing and how length is now being prioritized and all this sort of thing. And it was very engaging. And they mentioned this video of uh, Parker driving the McLaren Speedtail, which is one of those cars. I'm not sure it ever really had a great press launch. And they haven't made that many of them. And they've mostly just snuck off into people's collections quite quietly. And it's very much a... This, this sounds like damning with faint praise, and I don't mean it as such, but it's very much your archetypal YouTube video, walk around, look at the features, get in, POV, driving, etc. But done really, really well. It's for something which is essentially one person just talking the way around a car. It's engaging. I think the car comes out of it looking really good. I think the they do a really good job showing the car off. And yeah, definitely a new subscriber from uh, from me, and I would I would recommend it and others in their uh, in their channel just because it's they are very well done, straightforward, just what you would expect YouTube videos. I think I've been recommended them. I haven't seen this video, but I do rather like the Speedtail because it looks like the sort of streamliner land speed mm. record cars. Like if you could see if you basically bought one and painted it that blue. The, the bluebird came in and, and, and put wheel Campbell blue. yeah if you put wheel fairings on it i'd be like yes that is the one it's um, got it's got wheel fairings on the front yes but i'd want them on the back too and they'd need Fair. to be silver and it would then need to be in the bonneville salt flats but um i will give that one i'll give that one a watch out uh what i've chosen we i know we said we were only going to do one video recommendation and one channel i don't have a channel um no Chris has just recommended Vehicle Virgins. But I really, really wanted to include this video because I thought it was it's a it's a fabulous bit of journalism. Um, this is Harry Metcalf reviewing the BMW i5 M60 X Drive, where he basically just drops his pants and shits on it. Um, not literally, but verbally and as a car review, he basically takes BMW to task for the kind of EVs they are they're building how effective this is as a car and as a EV how value for money he goes into great detail about when you charge it what the range is like how much energy is lost to wastage be it heat or inefficiencies in the charging it's a, such a detailed review of an EV car and Harry's a very forward-thinking chap. He's running his cars on sustainable fuels and he's mm. been running EVs for a long time now and he's reviewing them very thoroughly in a way that I don't think very many other people are. And he was not impressed by this car at all. I think the the claims for its range were wildly overstated and I think the price for it's pretty high. It's very heavy. It's... It's a really, really thorough review of a disappointing EV from a company that should be able to do better and has done better in the past. And I found it fascinating as somebody who owns a BMW EV, but when they made good ones. Yes. Um, you know, the i3, I think, is going to go down in history as an absolute landmark. And BMW have since subsequently 
absolutely fumbled their you know decades head start. It's a really interesting review of Harry being critical of a manufacturer in a way that you don't often see on YouTube reviews. It's very rare to see somebody get a manufacturer press loan car and carefully, but quite constructively and quite comprehensively tear it to shreds. And I think that's, you know, there are bits of it that are, you know, they're quite brutal. His dissecting of the interior and the the infotainment, the, the efficiency, it's really worth a watch. Even if you are an EV skeptic, if you're an EV fanboy, um, if you're somewhere in between, this is absolutely worth a watch because I think it's it's one of the best reviews I've seen of a real world EV, even if it is the kind of, I don't know, figure how much this thing is, but it's probably nudging on for 95k with all the options on it, which is insanity for a, a car of its type. But And it's not for normal people, but it's, it's a really thorough review of an EV of the kind that not everybody is doing. Um, I think there's an awful lot of people who will just drag race them and go, oh my God, it's ace. Oh my God, it's got a giant screen the size of a 76 inch television. Um <laughs> And and not really delve any deeper than that. And this really delves deep. When you're talking about charging losses to heat uh, in yes. kilowatt hours and so on, then you know you're getting into the nerdy stuff. And that's fantastic. Also, before we finish, did you watch the, any of the Daytona 24? Yes. Did you see how good the BMW grill looked at night illuminated on a prototype? I did, yes. Although one of them had only one half of it working. <laughs> Um, so I was a bit like, you need to fix that other bit. I don't think if, if I were in charge of that team, my OCD would have made them stop for a new nose. <laughs> Even if it would have been slow, I'd have been like, nope, doesn't look right. But uh, that's why I'm not in charge of racing teams because also, you know, dirt and flies gets on the car. I'd have to stop and have it detailed by tipper every five minutes. Um, and but yes, uh, I did watch the Daytona 24. I did really enjoy it. By the way, Porsche won, which is awesome. I like the Cadillacs an awful lot because they make dirty V8 noises but uh, the world is now right because Porsche are winning endurance races again this is meant to be a short one and we've run on yet again I may cut out some of the EV ranting because it's a bit silly but thank you very much for listening Um, do go and check out Ferrari we are going to be back in a couple of weeks time possibly with a look at that Audi versus Lancia film if we can find out somewhere that's screening it or if it can be available for download somewhere Um, in the meantime have fun and when you do go and see the Ferrari movie, try not to laugh when poor old Marino Franchitti is thrown out of his car 80 feet into the air like a rag doll. Because I really did laugh. Oh my God, they killed Marino. <laughs> Until next time, everyone. <laughs>